thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. This is our last week in the book of James. Aren't you so sad? Sounds like it. Um, but we're diving into James chapter 5 this week, and I'm excited to be doing that. Um, you know, as I looked at this scripture and I started to think about it, I thought about what it's about to address and what it talks about. And as I got into it, I really felt like the Lord said this. As we go into James chapter 5, what is it? This is what we're going to talk about. It's the life that God rewards. And as we do that, if you've read James chapter 5 before or not, usually in your Bible, you can turn there with me if you like on your iPad, your iPhone, your iWatch, or an Android, <clears throat> if you feel like it. Hallelujah. Thank you for Apple. Amen. All right. Um, we're going to be in James chapter 5, but it, it starts off and starts off talking about the rich. And of course, I know when I read that, I went, whew, it's not talking about me. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I can just step back and go, okay, rich people. But the funny thing is, is I, as I did that, I had to really look into it because I felt the Lord really dropped something in me and he goes, do you really know what it really means to be rich? And when I feel like the Lord say that, I go, oh no, here he comes. He's going to teach me a lesson. He's going to teach me something. So I really started to dig into when it says we're going to talk about the rich and what does it mean to be rich, I really felt like the Lord was saying, you got to dig into that. So let's read the scripture together. We're going to read James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6 together. So if you got your Bibles, turn there. And it says, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Now, as we read that, it's not exactly we, we dive into James chapter 5 and go, ooh, this is going to be a good one. I'm excited. I always think about when it comes to the scriptures as I was going through James, I grew up playing sports, and there's a thing in sports called the mercy rule. When you start to just really pound someone, you're supposed to stop. I don't think James understood what the mercy rule was because we get into chapter 5, and he's like, oh, I'm going to lay it on you rich people. And so as I looked into what it meant to be rich, I dug deep. And so I wanted to share with you just a little bit about what it means to be rich. When it comes to defining wealth in America, Americans are split. Some would say it has to do with the experiences that we get to have. And some of them say it has to do with the finances that we have. So what Charles Schwab does, did is they took a survey of 1,000 Americans and they asked them to complete this sentence. To me, wealth means what? And 27% of those people said the amount of money they saved is what feels like wealth to them. 24% said it was their life experiences that they have, whether traveling or doing something, that's what defines wealth for them. 
22% said being able to afford to buy things that they really want. That's what defined wealth to them. 19% said having a peace of mind is what they defined as wealth. And 8% said having good relationships defines wealth. So we can already see that Americans in this survey are already split what it means to be wealthy or to be rich. And the funny thing is, as I read this and as I dug into this, I remembered at the beginning where I said, oh, this doesn't apply to me. We do that sometimes as believers. We'll read something, and because you can't find the tangible, real, everyday, this is how it applies to me, we just go, oh, well, this, I don't have to worry about that. This is not what James is trying to get across. Because if we continue to go deeper into finances, because, you know, once I start, I just can't stop going. They said then to Americans, what would you define as a number, a a financial number that would say you're rich. And Americans said, if you had $2.4 million in the bank, you're rich, which is 30 times more than the average household income according to the U.S. Census. Then I kept going. And I got excited. Because it said, in the nation right now, or not in the nation, in the world, excuse me, in the whole world, they took all the income of everyone and said it's reaching close to $70 trillion a year right now. And then they took that by the number of people that are on the earth, which is roughly around $7 billion, which means if we took all of everyone's income and evenly dispersed it, people would live on $10,000 a year. Does it sound like we're rich? Then I went deeper. Don't you feel good? Good morning. And it says that almost nearing three-fourths of the world lives on $300 a year or less. So let me ask you again, do you think this scripture applies to us? Absolutely. And when we talk about rich people or rich things, we're not just talking about those who have it. James is also addressing the heart issue in this. He's talking about how we view our finances. It applies to all of us. How we handle our finances, how we handle the things that God has blessed us with. We live in a blessed nation, amen? Some of you are like, I don't know if I want to say amen anymore. We live in a blessed nation. We've been blessed by God. We live and we have the resources and ability to get things like others don't have in the world. And so when we start to talk about this, we have to realize that it's not just about our heart, it's an attitude. It's the attitudes of a giving life that we're going to talk about. It's our attitude on how we look at things, how we view things, how we handle things. When it comes to our finances, it's our attitude. So the first thing that we need to understand that is an attitude of a giving life is don't hoard it greedily, but steward it wisely. There is a difference between hoarding and greedy. Anybody watch the shows Hoarders before? Yeah? It's amazing to watch that, right? And this is what he's talking about. He's not talking about the messy, dirty, trying to hold on. What he's saying is when you hoard it greedily, when you hold on to it solely because you just want it and you don't want anyone else to have it and you have to be the victor and you have to have most, this is the attitude he's saying you need to stay away from. But what he's saying is you have to be good stewards, steward it wisely. When we steward things widely, wisely, it does not mean that we're just giving it away. Stewarding wisely means save money, be smart, 
don't go outside your means, don't let, you know, there's, there's all of these things that go with stewarding it wisely. So as he addresses the rich, he's also addressing those who believe that money will take care of their problems more than God in the church can. So as we put this all in perspective and we start talking about don't hoard it greedily but steward it wisely, it can also come down to our time, to our attitudes, to our finances. Do we hoard it to ourselves and say, I'm the only one that matters, or do we steward it wisely and say, yes, I do need to take care of my needs, but there are others that I can bless if I steward this wisely. There's a, a story I heard about this where a man went to uh, the hospital because he wasn't feeling well and he met with the doctor. And the doctor looked at him and they did some tests. He goes, man, I, I got to tell you, uh, you have a terminal disease and you're probably going to pass away in the next three months. So he goes home and he tells his wife and he says, sweetheart, I got this terminal disease. I, I may die in three months. She's like, oh my gosh, what can I do? I'll do anything. He goes, listen, I want you to do one thing for me when I pass away. She's like, okay, what is it? He goes, I want you to take everything we have, every dime, every penny, every dollar, and I want you to bury it with me. And she was like, excuse me? He goes, I want you to bury it with me. She said, well, what about the kids? What about the house? What about, he goes, I don't care. Sell it all, bury it with me. So the day comes where the man passes away and the funeral comes and the woman is sitting in the front row and she's mourning the loss of her husband and she's holding this little brown box. And this funeral service goes on and they say goodbye and the, and the time comes for her to come up to say goodbye and she goes up and she's crying and she puts that box in with him. She says goodbye. The family noticed this so later that day they go up to her and said, listen, we saw you holding on to this box. What was it? She said, listen, he, he said to me, his dying wish was that I would bury all of the money with him. And they said, did you do it? She said, absolutely I did. I wrote him a check. <laughs> and if he can cash it, he can have it. <laughs> listen, don't, women are sneaky. Don't think you can beat it. Don't think you can beat it. But there is this view that we have to hoard it, keep to ourselves so that I can have these things. And it's just a great reminder that those things will not pass on with you. And you can't cash a check in heaven. I heard Larry Stockstill, he's a pastor in New Orleans, say it this way. Never value any worldly thing more than you value being the peace and rest of God. That's the value that we find. That's the thing that we want to reach after. There are things in this world we look to to take care of our needs, and we hoard things greedily, thinking those are the things that are going to do it. My wife and I, as we were preparing to move from Israel to here, we reached a point where back in 2015, we felt like the Lord was telling us it was time to move. And we started thinking, well, how are we going to afford this? How are we going to do this? we got to start doing this. We need to save that. God's not. And all of a sudden, we just felt like the Lord just come upon us and say, listen, it's not the church it's not Jason, it's not finances that are going to take care of you getting to where you need to go. I'm going to take care of getting you where you need to go. So don't hoard these things and say that I cannot do the things that you need. If I call you, I will go with you. And so we walk not greedily holding on to the things that we have because God's income level is much different than ours. And don't worry, he will walk with you. And it's how we handle money and how we use it that God wants to get us. And it's not about just the rich. It's about all of us. The second thing that I believe James was saying was this. Don't be dishonest with your money. 
but distribute it honestly. When God blesses us with finances, or if God has put you in a place where you are blessed by finances and you are giving and paying people, do it honestly. It is a testimony of who you are. There are men in this church that I know are here in these services today that I see them. And God has blessed them and given them the ability to run businesses and do it well. But they also use that the name of Jesus is a part of the work that they do. That they don't stand for shady things to happen. They do exactly what God asks them to do and they handle the finances well. And that becomes their testimony. Because remember, when I say that I'm a believer in Jesus and then handle things differently than Jesus does, that's my testimony. So my testimony needs to be what Jesus would do. It's like those little bracelets back in the day. And I can tell you, I had experienced this in my own life. My wife and I, as we moved back, we had to buy cars. And so we took the money that we sold our car in Israel for, and we bought two used cars here, and we're like, you know what, we're going to buy used cars because we're not going to have car payments. We're going to do these things. And we buy the cars, and sure enough, two months later, we have to put a couple thousand dollars into one of those cars. Not what I was looking to do. Any of you love putting money into your car? Some of you do because you got to lift it. It's, I want to. Anyway, sorry, I digress. We don't love doing that because we're like, this is a piece of machinery that's just supposed to work. I don't want to put money into it. Sure enough, a few months later, my wife's car needs even more money into her car. And it was very easy at that time that I could have called the dealership and the, and the repair shop that we were working with and be very upset. And I could have gone after them. But I remember the Lord saying to me, you need to to treat this wisely. You need to show who I am in this situation. So I always try to at least somewhat keep my cool when they're like, well, it's not a cylinder anymore, it's this, and it's not this, and now we need to replace the engine. Now it's not just the engine, it's this. And you're like, oh, baby Jesus, what do I do? And sure enough, after driving to that dealership and the repair shop that's 45 minutes to an hour away, the third time going for the same problem, I hit a moment where I understood what God was asking me to do because I go up there and I said, listen, can I drive with one of your mechanics in the car? Can I show you what's going on? This is what we're hearing. They said, sure. We get in. We go for about a 30, 40 minute drive. And during that time, God opened the door that I could share about Jesus to that mechanic. And it wasn't about the finances anymore. It was the opportunity. And now that's a really expensive way to share the gospel. But his life is more valuable than the cost of that engine of that car. And so I wasn't dishonest with my time, and it wasn't dishonest with my money. You distribute it wisely. You think about the ways that when God has given it to you, do what's right because your life is your testimony. And when we get to share who Jesus is, we do it wisely, and we do it with just a great fervor in our hearts from the Lord. So when it says... Don't be dishonest with your money. Do what's right with your money. Don't try and do the shady deal. Don't try and get around it. Now, I'm not saying don't be wise in your business, but don't manipulate things so that you win. Do what you can so that God wins and people come to know Jesus. It is hard sometimes when we talk about finances to say how you're supposed to do this or do that or give it away. I'm not here to ask you for your money today. What I'm here to say is let's have a testimony that speaks of who God is through the ways that we bless others and we take care of things. Which brings me to the third point. Don't spend it selfishly, but share it generously. 
Don't spend it selfishly, but share it generously. In James 5, verses 5 and 6, he talks about this. And as he starts to, pre- to address this, he really is starting to get on to, don't just spend it to spend it. Don't just spend it to have it. Don't just spend it so you can get as much as you can. Now, I'm not saying that you don't deserve what God has blessed you with. God blesses people. God gives others financial things that I don't have or you don't have or anyone doesn't have. It doesn't, it's not about that. It's about don't spend it for the need to just spend it because if we share it generously and we give out to others, then we give others the opportunity to do something in the world that maybe we weren't able to do. Maybe we were able to bless someone in a time of need. Maybe we were able to bless someone to go tell the gospel. Maybe we were blessed. We don't know. But when we're able to give generously, we see a lot of things happen. But, but, God, but Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. These are the words of Jesus. But then again in Proverbs, it says this. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I don't know about you, but when God starts to talk to me about my finances, it's a very hard thing to do. And when he starts to talk about the rich, it's something that I don't put myself in that category because normally what do we define as rich? It's everyone who has more money than me. It doesn't matter income level, that tends to be what we say. But he's not talking about just those who have large amounts of money. He's talking about anyone who's been blessed by the Lord that has income more than $300 a year. That we are blessed, that we are rich, and people look to us the way we handle those things and be a blessing to be a testimony of who Jesus is. And that can lead people to a new life. But as James goes on, we kind of come to the second section of James chapter five, starting in verse seven, and it says this. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Do not grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be a yes and let your no be a no or you will be condemned. As James makes this transition, he starts to talk about the very next point that we have, which is to be what? It's to be patient. Patience is a hard thing to learn. Is anyone perfect at patience? Can I just get a show of hands? No hands. Okay, I was just checking. If one went up, we were going we to talk. None of us are perfect at patience. Patience is what we call a virtue of the Spirit. It's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Patience is hard to learn. Patience is very hard to learn when you're young. 
Anybody have any kids that think, hey, they're the most patient kid I've ever seen? Again, no hands. Okay. Patience is something that's hard to learn. It's why it's one of the virtues or the gifts of the Spirit. But when it says not to grumble at one another, it means that we're supposed to love people. So in patience, we're supposed to love. So while we're waiting, we're supposed to love. Patience is one of the hardest things I know in my life. But patience is not always just for us. Sometimes patience is for the people around us. Which brings me to the next one. Patient, being patient means we are also present. And I felt like the Lord kind of gave me this word because here's the thing. We can learn to be patient, but we have to be present in our patience. What do I mean by that? As we go throughout our lives, what I've noticed is that there are times that we will distract ourselves to make ourselves patient. I do this all the time. I'm sitting somewhere, I'm literally riding in an elevator for 10 seconds, what do I do? I pull out my phone, I check social media, I'm checking my email. I'm always constantly doing something. I'm not willing to just sit there. Any of you ever go to the doctor before and the doctor's running a little behind? And you have to sit in the waiting room longer than you thought? Have you ever played a game? I, I, I thought of this and I was like, this is a great game. Sit there and don't read, look, do anything. Just sit there patiently. Doesn't that sound like fun? How many of you know you would absolutely lose your mind in about two minutes? You'd be like, yeah, no. Because we've taken patience and said the way to be patient is to be distracted. Distraction is not patience. Being present is patient. Here's what I, I mean by that. I believe that there are times that God has asked us to be patient. And we distract ourselves. And then God comes and says, hey, did you... A picture like a waiting room and God goes, did, did you watch the informational video about what's about to get you through this next season? And you're like, no, I distracted myself. I didn't see what God was trying to do to teach me patience. I was just trying to get to my goal. God wants to teach us things at all times and we have to be present in the patience because we have to also be able to persevere. So what's the next one? We persevere so we can praise. It mentions in scripture about Job where Job had to persevere a lot of things. If you've never heard of Job or read about Job, go back and read it. He had to go through a lot. He went through tragedies in his life, but at the end, God did something great in his life. And I was thinking about this. I thought of a, a, a friend of mine, a, a person that we worked with in Israel. His name was Daniel. I want to kind of share Daniel's story with you. Daniel was a refugee from a country called Etreia in Africa, and there were refugees that were having to leave and they were running all over the country trying to escape the civil war that was happening there. And the way that a lot of them would do it was they would try and get up into Israel or get into other places in the Middle East and then get into Europe. And Daniel had to cross across the Sinai Peninsula. Now, right now, the Sinai Peninsula is a very deadly, unsafe place to be. The reason is, is because as refugees try and get across the Sinai Peninsula into these areas, they're being kidnapped, they're being ransomed, they're being killed, and they're being sold into slavery. And so Daniel crossed through the Sinai Peninsula and he made it to Israel and he achieved refugee status. And so we gave Daniel a job working at our facilities so that he could start to get his feet on the ground. But we started to notice that sometimes Daniel was a little tired when he came to work. Sometimes we even found Daniel sleeping in the corner at work. 
So one day we had to talk to him and say, Daniel, what is, why are you doing this? He goes, well, I'm working three jobs. So Daniel, why are you working three jobs? He said, well, I made it through the Sinai Peninsula, but my sister didn't. She was captured, and they've told me if, they will, if, if I want to see her again and get her released, I need to pay $20,000 in ransom to get her free. So he took on three jobs to set his sister free. The reality is, too, when it comes to perseverance and it comes to patience, sometimes we've got to be patient with people because we don't know what they're trying to persevere. We had to be patient with Daniel. I would rather have Daniel work three jobs and fall asleep a couple times at work than know that I say to him, hey, I need you to work, and I really don't care that your sister's been caught into slavery. Daniel worked three jobs and raised $20,000, and he paid for his sister's ransom. And then he never heard from them again. He never knew what had happened to his sister. And then about a month or two later, he gets a phone call from his sister, and somehow they put her on a boat, and she ended up in Italy. Our patience that we learn is not just about being distracted. It's about being present and understand that the people around us need our patience because they are persevering. But when we persevere and we're patient with one another, we have the right to then praise because we come through things and we can look and see what God did and we see that God did something great. God taught us something great. God brought us through something great. But then it brings me to something that we need, which is point number seven. So we need to be consistent. We have to be consistent. When we're not consistent in our quiet times, when we're not consistent in our prayer time with God, when we're not consistent in those things, we start to find that it becomes a little bit more difficult to be patient. It becomes a bit more difficult to show compassion. And so God challenges us and says we have to be consistent. But then he also challenges us, and the next thing is we also need to show compassion. He says it in those scriptures. He talks about how we need to be compassionate for people. And we need to also be consistent in our compassion. And it's hard sometimes to be consistent in our compassion for others when they really annoy us, when they really bother us, when they keep doing that thing. But the re reality is, is Jesus was our consistent example of compassion. The way that he treated others, the way that he loved the lost, the way that he had compassion and patience for us, the way that he put himself on a cross for us, that's compassion that I want to learn from. That's consistency that I want to see in my own life. And it is a challenge to be consistent in compassion. But here's the thing, I want to invite you I don't want to invite you. I'm going to tell you that we as a church are going to preach the gospel, and I want you to come along with me as we tell others about it. I want us to show the compassion of Jesus to everyone in this world, not because I'm supposed to. It's because I love God and I love people. And I can speak every day to the things that God has taught me to be patient in and to persevere in. It doesn't mean I'm asking you to go out to the rest of the world and say, go and do this. What I'm saying is show compassion to others. 
We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road. So I wanted to take a moment. Before we move on, I know there's some blanks still on your notes. I did that for a reason. I didn't want to lose you. But can you stand to your feet for a minute? Our call, the moment we say that I'm a believer in Jesus, is to show the compassion of love of Jesus to the rest of the world. And it takes perseverance. And it takes patience. And so as we sing this song, it's a new song. We probably, you might not have heard it. But I want you to hear the words and I want you to engage in this song. Because the gospel is the thing and it's the reason that we're here this morning. And so I want to sing this together. And I want to see God do an amazing work in our city. And then I have one last closing point. Precious is my Savior. 